Well, good morning. My name is Kendall Chase. I'm one of the student ministry directors here. Uh, oh, <laughs> hey, I didn't pay for that. Um, and I get the privilege and honor of being able to teach the Bible today. So uh, praise God for that. Uh, we are in our Acts series or Acts Masterclass, and we're going verse through verse through the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to be continuing our chug along today. So with that, I'll pray for us and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Um, God, I just ask that uh, you sustain me this morning. God, that it's uh, you speaking through me and, uh, and penetrating the hearts of everyone in here. Uh, God, I just ask that your spirit uh, is moving and, and everyone in this room, everyone online, everyone on the outside venue, um, just work in this place. Help us have a real experience with you. God, speak to us through your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, so every time I start a sermon uh, in the student ministry, uh, I start it just like this. I have this phrase I always say, and those of you who know, you know, and you better jump in. It's not a good sermon unless it starts with... A good story. I, we, it just happened one time. I said it, and, and I was like, oh, that's kind of catchy. And then the next day, my main man, Darren Crawford, was the only one who remembered it. And so we just kept it rolling. And now it's the thing we do every single Wednesday. And look at that, on a Sunday. So uh, <laughs> praise God. So <laughs> you guys are awesome. Uh, so it's good story time. One day, Sierra comes up to me and says, hey, why don't we have a date night? We've been married, my, my wife Sierra, uh, and, and we, we got married, and then it was just kind of like we were doing this married thing, and it's like, why don't we do more dates? And oh, that's a good idea. And so she was like, can you plan a date night? I was like, I can plan a date night. And so me being me, I go online, to my favorite coupon websites. Because, wait, we're newlyweds, we're, we're, we're figuring it out, we love a good deal, and when it's a good deal, it tastes better. So I'm scrolling, I'm going website to website, up, down, sideways, backwards, and eventually I land on a restaurant that had a wonderful coupon. And I was like, boom, I got it. Date night is getting teed up. And you know, like, she's my wife. She's, she's my beautiful wife. I love her. I want to serve her. I want to give her everything. So I'm going to take her out on the world's best date. Got the coupon. Restaurant is ready. Locked in. It's that morning I said, hey, we're something fancy. So she, she shows up to the restaurant. We both met from work. So we actually show up at the restaurant. And, and she's in a dress some nice shoes, she's got her makeup all did and her hair all fancy. And I'm like, you are looking good. And I took it serious too. I actually put on like slacks and a dress shirt. You know what's real? When you tuck it in. I actually tucked in my shirt and I had my fancy belt on, the one I got on today because I knew I was going to be preaching. And I got everything. Dress shoes, had it all. Had it all. We meet in front of the parking lot. Mmm. Hey, you looking good. I love you. Ready for a date night? Holding hands, we're walking up to the restaurant. We look up, we see the big old sign, and we, we, we get a little grin on our face. The sign reads, R-E-D-L-O-B-S-T-E-R. I'm talking about Red Lobster, baby. <laughs> see, I, I, I made a mistake. I... <sighs> 
I had a memory locked away somewhere where I thought Red Lobster was like an extremely fancy place. And I thought it was nice. I, and and the, the coupon I found was, was two lobster tails for $35 with two sides and unlimited cheddar biscuits. I was like, mmm. Now that's what we're talking about. Fancy restaurant, two lobster tails, one for each of us and a side for each of us, unlimited cheddar biscuits. I said, I love you, baby. Let's go to Red Lobster. It didn't take more than two steps for us to walk in that place and realize it's not what I thought it was. We walk in, there's a funny smell, and, and I power through it. I power through it, look the hostess in the eyes. Table for two, please. She walks us through, and I see the little lobster tank. I'm like, I thought it was a little more extravagant. And we sit down on these crusty tables, and it was like a weird booth. Like, it looked like it was about to fall apart. And I'm like, oh, oh, man. And see, here's the thing. That's not even the worst part. The worst part was that I actually, like, because I had the preconceived notion that Red Lobster was this amazing, fancy restaurant, five-star dining, I was like, this deal is too good to pass up on. So I, I take a screenshot of that coupon and I send it to the church staff group chat. I was like, if you guys are looking for a fancy date, I got you covered. Later I found out they thought I was joking. I was serious the whole time. And <laughs> And then I'm at work that day, few hours before Red Lobster night. And, and they're like, Kendall, what you going on after work? I got a date night. Ooh, what are you guys doing? Red Lobster. Hey, don't worry about it. Red Lobster, what you doing? And everyone, everyone's like, wow, good job. I was like, two lobster tails, 35 bucks, whatever. It's like, mmm. You, you have fun with that. You, you have fun. You, hey, hey. Here's the thing, though. Sierra, my lovely wife, saw straight through it. She thought, she saw, it was a thought that counted. Hey, I, we, we both kind of thought, I don't know if you knew, but I knew for a fact that it was a fancy place when it wasn't. And, and she nonetheless appreciated everything that we went through just so we could have a you know, fancy night together. We were still dressed up. Everybody else was in cargo shorts and flip-flops, but we were in, in, in a dress, nice shoes, slacks, all the, all the fixes, uh, and, and she still appreciated it, uh, and, and afterwards she was like, hey, thank you for taking me on a cute date. The whole night, the whole night, I was, I was dedicated to serving my wife. Tonight is about you, honey. We are taking you out, we are getting you lobster tails, and I think we even got dessert afterwards. I dressed up, we're making this a good night. I wanted to serve my wife that night. But as I got thinking about, man, I wanted to serve my wife that night, I was thinking about, what about every other moment of the day? Like, every other moment of the day, aren't we serving something somewhere? Like, if we're on our way to work, we are serving our job, our boss, because we're on our way to work. When you eat some good food, you're serving your belly. Like, you know what, I'm gonna take care of you, belly, I got you covered. When you're watching a good show, you're serving your brain, you know, get, get, get some good stimulation going in your brain, making yourself happy by watching a good show. It's kind of weird that every single little thing we do is, to one degree or another, serving someone or something else. And the range can, can or the, the, it can be a giant range of the things we serve and, and the ways we do it, but to some degree, every little thing we do, every decision we make, 
serve someone or something else. And so it begs the question, who are you serving? And as we are doing our study of Acts today, that's the question that we run into in Acts chapter 4, 1 through 22, is, is who are you serving? And that's where we're going to be today, Acts 4, uh, chapter, one, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. Hey, if you've got a paper Bible, you can flip there. We're going to have a television Bible. If you've got a phone Bible, guys, there's no shortage of Bible. We're in a church. Uh, but while you're flipping there, this is just an excuse for me to give you context. While you're flipping there, even though you're probably just going to read it on the screen, uh, I'm going to give you some context and fill you in about what's going on when we run in here. So as we read in our, in our previous studies, uh, these two apostles, John and Peter, had just performed a miracle right outside the temple gate. There's a guy who couldn't walk for 40 years, and they say, John gives the, gives the paralyzed man like a good Judge Judy death stare and says, get up and walk. He gets up and he walks. Woo, miracle. Praise God. Those things cause a bit of ruckus, though. Like, not every day does someone just say, get up and walk. And so when it happens, it kind of stirs things up around town. The word gets around, and people start quickly forming crowds. They start forming this, the Peter and John, or following Peter and John, and, and they want to see, are they going to do it again? Is there another miracle coming? Or, uh, actually, I wouldn't mind listening to what they have to say. And so they stick around, and, and, and they're waiting for John and Peter to do or say something. Sure enough, at the back half of chapter 3, Peter and John go on a rip, and they just start teaching. They're teaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died for your sins. Guess what? He's back to life, literally, and now he's our living hope. Wonderful. They're listening, and it's awesome. There's a giant crowd around them listening to everything they have to say. They're eating it up. But here's the thing. The Jewish officials in that age... They weren't too kind. In fact, they took offense to a lot of what John and Peter had just done. See, first, these Jewish officials, they were Sadducees. Sadducees. And they were a particular sect of Judaism where they did not believe particularly in the physical resurrection of the dead, particularly Jesus, because they said that can't possibly be happening. It's not taught in the Scripture. And so there's Peter and John teaching all about the resurrection. Hey, Jesus is alive. He, he's in heaven. He's a human. His body's not in the grave. He's back up. Guess what? When he comes, we're all going to be back up too. Sadducees take problem with that. And not only that, they got a giant crowd around them listening. Second, they just performed a miracle straight in the face of everybody. It's kind of a one-two punch. First, the crowds and the miracle threaten the entire authority of the Jewish religious system, and they're teaching all about the resurrection, gunning straight at the Sadducees, saying, hey, the resurrection is actually going to happen. And so that is where we find ourselves in Acts 4, 1 through 22. So let's get into it. The priests and the captain of the temple, uh, temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. There you have it. 
They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men believed and grew about 5,000. What happened here? They didn't like what they were doing. They threw them in jail, but it was too late in the day. So they just kept them overnight until they could get their hearing in the morning. So they're there overnight. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Pause. We got our main conflict going on in this passage. They wanted to bring in Peter and John to question them. They wanted to particularly question them about the healing that took place uh, just the chapter before when John said, get up. And the man who had been paralyzed for 40 years got up. They brought him in to question him. But here's the thing. It's not just a normal questioning. I would say it's more like an interrogation. See, they pulled the highest ranking Jewish officials to be brought and so they could listen to the hearing of John and Peter. These particular uh, group of Jewish leaders, they, they had a name too because they were so always together and, and pretty uh, famous or infamous depending on which side you are at the time. They were called the Sanhedrin. It's kind of cool. It's a cool name. Sanhedrin. In this particular group of Jewish leaders, they were, they were, they were powerful. They were powerful people. Uh, they kind of had their feet in many different areas of the modern world. And so a little bit in the Roman, a little bit in the Jewish, a little bit of, uh, of uh, the outcasts. And, and they had a lot of leverage. And so these particular guys, they could leverage anything at any given moment to get the things done that they wanted to get done. I'd call them the Jewish Illuminati. They can do whatever they want and whenever they want it. Nobody's going to know about it. They can cover it up if they want to. Uh, one, one good thing I'd like to, to, to point out is that these were the guys that actually put Jesus to death. They could do whatever they wanted whenever they wanted. They looked at Jesus and said, your time here is done. Uh, Jesus accepted. If he wouldn't accept it, then he could have wiped him out easily. But nonetheless, it takes a lot of power and influence to be able to put the Son of Man to death even if he was willing to go willingly. So here are Peter and John in front of the Jewish Illuminati and they proceed with their questions. They ask, by what power or what name did you do this? The first and what will end up really being the only question of the interrogation rolls out. It seems like a simple question. It seems like a simple question. Hey, obviously, uh, it, it, there's a paralyzed man and he's walking. By what power or whose power did you do this? It seems innocent. Hey, how'd you do that miracle? But knowing what we know about the Jewish Illuminati sitting right in front of them and what they already know about Peter and John, it's not so simple. This question is, it seems to be rather dang loaded. It's a loaded question ready to blast right back at Peter and John. See, they know that they're normal people. See, we're normal people. 
We're normal people. I don't know anybody in here who can fly without an airplane. I, I don't know anybody in here who can walk on water. Like, my, my special ability, you want to know what it is? Like, I can juggle. I can juggle, like, sometimes. And, you know, I have a second one. I have a second superpower. I can recreate just about any noise within five seconds of it. But you can't tell me to do it or else I can't do it. It's like I can't be put on the spot. It, so, I, like, I, so after service, don't be like, hey, do that thing. Like, I can't. Like, I have to do it on my own terms, you know? Uh, <laughs> Like we don't, we're not, we're not super people. We weren't born super people. That's not who we are. We are humans just doing our thing. And so when, when, when they're looking at Peter and John, they obviously know that Peter and John by themselves did not raise up this paralyzed man. Add that with the fact that they know that they've been hanging around this Jesus guy. I think the Sadducee, or sorry, excuse me, the, the Sanhedrin already know what answer they're going to get. Hey, by what power or authority did you do that miracle? They already know what answer they're going to get. They're going to say, by the power of Jesus. But they asked it anyways. Why? They asked the question. They know the answer that they're going to get. But why did they ask it? What, what, what I'm leaning towards, what I believe, is that they're hoping the apostles will either completely back down. They'll say, hey, I don't know, man. It just happened. They'll, they'll step aside from this whole Jesus thing and give it a rest. Or they'll say something egregious enough, uh, enough to, to really make the Sanhedrin mad that will put them in jail for a very long time. All it takes is one slip left or right and the, the John and Peter are in a dangerous place. But they ask the question, so Peter and John, by what power or name did you do this? We get into verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Spirit, pause, hold on, pause, pause. This is, this, hey, if this is like a movie, this is like the first climax. We're going to get to like a second one here in a second. But this is like the first one up here. It's about to go down. See, when, when Peter said filled with the, or sorry, when it said then Peter, filled with the Spirit, that's code. That's a secret code. That means it's about to go down. See, if it was just like, then Peter said, yeah, he's not that bright anyways. Like, yeah, what's he, what's he really going to say? But it said, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'll make a distinction here. Filled with the Holy Spirit is different than just the regular indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When, when you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior from your sin, and he, he gives you the gift of your Holy Spirit. He's inside of you. He's living inside you. That's just called indwelling. He's indwelt. You, you're being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Being filled is slightly different. Being filled by the Holy Spirit is when you are under complete control of the Holy Spirit. And so when it says, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, that means, uh-oh, it's the big man talking. Then Peter filled with the Spirit. I, see, if like John, I wonder if John, John's standing right next to him. I wonder if John has like little spidey senses, but like spirit senses. And can sense like that it's about to go down. It's like, uh-oh, he's being filled with the Spirit. It's about to go down. Like maybe like a force field goes around. Peter a little bit. Not really. It doesn't happen. But like, I bet John is like right there like, mm -hmm. you get him, Pete. It's going to happen. You're going to wreck him. And, and, but he's not saying anything because he's not really being the one asked. It's Peter. And, and, and they're just, oh, yeah, Petey. But he can't do anything yet. What does Peter say? 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called on account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that man, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind, but by which we must be saved. He's standing in front of the Jewish Illuminati, and he does not back down. I think about it like every 2000s high school drama when, when the innocent kid is walking down the hall and Tammy goes, nice shoes. But then, but then instead of just backing down, the little innocent girl turns right back around and says, I don't care that you broke your elbow. If you know, you know. He sticks to his guns. And as a matter of fact, he takes a few shots right back at them. He doesn't care who they are, what they're doing. He knows that he has Jesus. You know what he says? He says, hmm, you're gonna question me? Guess what? Jesus, the guy you killed, the one who claimed to be God, the one you thought you were done with, he's back. He's alive and he's raised from the dead. Hey, and guess what? Guess what? He raised from the dead and now the only way to be saved is through him. What you want? They didn't do anything. But guess what? In that moment, in that moment, they ask him a question. By what power did you do this? He had a choice to make. By what power did you do this, Peter? He could have done what they had hoped he'd do and just back down. I mean, I don't know, I'm just doing my thing. Or he could have just went on a, one of his numbskull rants that Peter likes to go on every now and again and got himself in trouble. He had a choice. Do I make my life easier and just submit and get out of here and keep doing what I'm doing? Or do I do what Jesus has commanded me to do and spread his gospel? The answer was clear for Peter. Do what Jesus says to do. So what did he do? He dished it right back out at them. We get into verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, like, whoa, whoa, what just happened? That doesn't happen to us. People are too scared to mess with us. What? We don't, we, people don't take shots at us. We take shots at them. When they saw the courage of, of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Hey, you want to know something funny? The, 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 one of the words for unschooled and ordinary is actually uh, idone, which is where we get uh, idiot. So I don't know, the Bible called them idiot. I didn't do it, it was the Bible. Uh, unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these guys? 
Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they've performed a notable sign. We can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in His name. Great, they reached a decision. Verse 18, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So they didn't have a real charge for them. We can't put you in jail. You happen to say the perfect things. Oh, I wonder why, because he was guided by the Spirit. We can't put you in jail, can't lock you up. And, and if, even if we do, there's going to be a giant crowd trying to get right back at us because we put away the miracle healer. So, we're going to let you guys go. Like, but, again, dealing with the Jewish Illuminati, they didn't let him go without a threat. <coughs> Said, hey, you got to stop. I get it. I, I, I get it. You want to be part of this movement. You want to do what's cool. You want to be with the Jesus people. Hey, that's cool, but you got to stop. Because you're messing with us, and you're messing with everything we got going on here. You got to stop. They gave John and Peter their command. Said, do not teach, do not speak, do not breathe, Jesus. Things will not go well for you if they do. Again, just like the first time a few verses ago, they're trying to scare them into submission. They're saying, hey, things will happen to you if you keep doing this Jesus thing. They're trying to scare them away from their duties. Here we go again, here's the second climax. Say, hey, you better not do this Jesus thing. But Peter comes in for a second frame. You know, Padre's playing today. Coming in for a second frame. He hits another home run. What do he say? Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? Oh, you religious, you religious people. You who claim to follow God. Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you? Or to him? Hey, you guys know a lot about that. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Again, Peter had a choice to make. They said, don't do this Jesus thing. Peter had a choice. I can say, okay, walk away, maybe lie to them, do it anyways, or I can stop, or whatever. He made a choice to stick with his guns and follow the command of Jesus. And as a matter of fact, he makes an honest appeal. He says, guys, you guys are religious. You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta empathize with the brother for a second. If I'm doing what God has commanded me to do, how am I not supposed to do it? And right now, it seems like what God has commanded me to do and what you're commanding me to do are at odds. Peter and John say, I think, I think we're serving God. And if I think that's the truth, what am I supposed to do? So Peter made it clear every time he has the choice to serve something other than Jesus, he ain't going to do it. He's only going to serve Jesus. But the question looming in the air, which is, which is well, the main point for today, and the, question, and the form of a question, rather, is who are you serving? Peter was faced with this question many times. 
in this short encounter, not to mention the whole book of Acts. More than once in this interaction alone did Peter have to ask himself, who am I serving? Where will I go? What will I say? More than once did Peter give his answer. He stuck to his answer every single time. More than once did the Sanhedrin test his answer. Get this, more than once did Peter try to flip the question back on them and say, who are you serving? Just in this interaction, we get two different parties with two different answers. Peter and John declare their service to the risen Jesus, while the Jewish leaders declare their service to their own religious systems, power, and status. What's also fun is we get to see how these play out. We get the advantage of being 2,000 years later and we get to see what Peter and, and John get to write and we get to see how the Jewish system kind of works out through church history. See, Peter and John in their writings, they said, I declare my service to the risen Lord Jesus. And well, no coincidence, all of their writings are filled with life, peace, love, joy, the Spirit of God working throughout everything they write. But then the Jewish religious system comes crashing down hard just a few years later. See, Peter and John had come face to face with this question, and every time they had to pick an answer. Do I serve the religious leaders? Do I serve others? Do I serve my convenience? Or do I serve the risen Lord Jesus? We got their answer. Who are you serving? We got their answer. We, see, we even see how this, this story finishes too. In verse 21, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed is over 40 years old. Man, they got it. They got it. They got it. They chose to serve Jesus. Every time when they had the choice, they, they chose to serve Jesus. They got it. They knew what would happen when they chose that. They knew it wouldn't be easy when they chose that. You ready for this? Ready? Ready for what's about to happen? Momentum. Do you get it? Momentum. Who are you serving? There's a few different ways, like without even thinking about it, that we could end up not serving Jesus. That just becomes second-hand nature. Serving others. Are you in the business of people-pleasing? You say, I'm bent over backwards just to make sure that this person's happy, that I make sure I, I, I get this to them because they asked for it and uh, I don't want to let them down and, and, and this, that, or, or the other. Or are you serving yourself? Or are you fighting for that next position in work? Are you fighting to have more influence in somebody else's life? Are, are you fighting to, for your future and, and retirement and, and all that and making sure every step of the way you got it ironed out? Are you fighting for serving money? Are, are you looking for more hours just to get that bigger paycheck? Are you, are you trying to get that raise? If only I can get X amount in my bank account. I know I think like that sometimes. Young married couple, trying to get everything together. I'm not saying those things won't happen, but I'm saying where did it start? 
Did it start with you serving Jesus or did it start with you serving something somewhere or somehow else? See, or are you serving the Lord Jesus? If your answer is not Jesus, let me be the one to break the news. You are wasting all your time and your resources. In, in your everyday decisions, Jesus is the only thing that is well worth it. And, and Jesus is clear. When you devote your life to service to him, that is when you will find life. See, well, guess what? Jesus is clear that serving him is the only thing that is going to last forever. Serving Jesus opens up the door for rich blessings from the Father. Serving Jesus is the only thing that will fill the, the God-sized hole, that void in your heart that only Jesus can fill. When you decide to serve Jesus, God grows your faith in His goodness, in His faithfulness, in His soul-satisfying ability. Who do you serve? Serving Jesus sounds pretty great. I don't necessarily mean serving on a Sunday morning. That's great. I don't, I don't mean serving in a ministry. That's great. Get plugged in. Let's do that. That's how we make a difference for the kingdom. But I'm more so talking about day-to-day decision-making. And where does that come from? Is your day-to-day decision-making focused on serving Jesus? With your time, how will you spend your time? With your resources, with your money, in your job, in your relationships. What decisions will you make? How will you decide to make things? Is it by serving Jesus. My plea would be, give it all to Christ and see what He does with it. Who are you serving? My plea would be, please let it be Jesus. A cool tidbit that, that, that's in this passage too, uh, and this is just going to be real quick, and I think it applies to us, um, is the Spirit serves His servants. Those who decide to serve Jesus will then be served by the Holy Spirit. We get that in verse 8. That's when, when the, and the, filled with the Spirit, Peter said... See, Peter had made the decision to serve Jesus. He made the decision to commit his decisions to him and march forward in faithfulness to Jesus. And Jesus helped him. He was not left alone. The Spirit came and filled him, gave him the words to speak out of his mouth. See, when you decide to serve Jesus, he doesn't let you do it alone. He helps you. He doesn't just leave you to figure it out. You make the decision and the Spirit is there waiting for you to help you. And it's fun talking about all this, but it's better to talk about how. See, I got a watch. Bang! There's $20 off of Amazon. It's a, it's a, uh, a Casio with a 10-year battery life. Um, and it's really cool because I wanted one for work and because sometimes I can't always look at the clock and I work at a coffee shop and pulling shots and pressing buttons and doing all that good stuff. Anyways, it gets very busy when there's a Saturday morning and everybody decided to wake up and want their hot latte. 
It's hard. It's hard. And so everybody's hustling and doing their thing, and it's, it, my mind gets sidetracked by, okay, make this coffee, do that, make this smoothie, and then do this acai bowl, granola, peanut butter, honey, strawberries, blackberries, blueberries, coconut, lids, send it out, you know? And then I started to get dry. I mean, dry like spiritually. Like, what's going on? And I realized that as I was going through work, I, there, was no, there was no moment where I got to turn my heart back to Jesus and say, what do you want to do? And so I, I got this watch. And it, it's one of the few watches that I could find that actually have like um, a, a countdown watch. Like you could set it for 30 minutes and it'll, it'll beep, 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 beep after 30 minutes. And so every 30 minutes I would set it, and I still do. And it would beep and, and I'd be pulling coffee and I'd stop. It would beep and I'd stop. And then I'd go back behind everything and I'd pull out a card. And it had a prayer written on it. And it's a prayer I want you guys to take home with you. Lord, give me opportunities to serve you. Every 30 minutes, my watch would go off. God, give me an opportunity to serve you. It's the best thing I can do with my time, with my life. It's the best thing that will fill my soul. God, give me an opportunity to serve you. Beep, beep, beep. It's time. Beep, beep. It's time. So first, I, want, I, I would encourage you guys to take that home with you and see what God reveals to you. And second, I challenge you to find a rhythm where you get to pray that prayer. When things get hectic, when things get crazy, when, when, when you're not really thinking clear because you got so much in front of you, find a rhythm, find a time to say that prayer. Lord, give me an opportunity to serve you. Maybe it could be a watch. Help me out. Maybe it could be an alarm on your phone. Every morning you wake up, you get it. Momentum, who are you serving? Let it be Jesus. It'll work better for you. And he even helps you do it. So hey, I'll pray for us. Uh, if you guys would stand with me, we're going to hop into worship right after. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Um, God, give us the courage to pray that prayer. Help us find you. God, show us what you can do and we hand you our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.